there seems to be this really, really high degree of focus on like, how much energy can I burn right now? How much energy can I, can I, uh, make myself run through in this, whether actually with running or some other modality, you know, how much activity can I get in, in any single day? And I don't think that that's necessarily like an, an illogical approach. Like it makes sense in theory. Mm -hmm. Um, until you start to realize that all of the things that have been espoused for a very long time in, in sort of the weight loss realm, like running, for instance, um, dig you into these sort of holes where you end up in situations where you, you start to realize that the amount of energy that you burn proportionately to the amount of food that most people eat during the day is just the, the, the gap is too large. So go ahead and run a marathon every single day. And then eat like five bananas and like the energy is basically like made up, you know, in that sense. Welcome to the Weight Loss for Women podcast, a place where we share everything you need to know about restoring your metabolism so you can eat more, train less and lose weight in a healthy and sustainable way. I'm Kitty Bloomfield, co-founder of New Strength and Saturate, creator of pro-metabolic food supplements and seriously saturated skincare. And uh, today I'm joined by Ben Yanis. 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 I said it right. I had to ask him at the start because I've been totally, I think I've been saying to Craig, Ben Yanis. <laughs> hey, they're all pretty accurate. I mean, given the rest of the, the, the impression of that that I've heard, so. Oh, so funny. So anyway, got his name right. And Ben's, uh, he's in the States, in New York. He's got a girlfriend, two cats. These They've adopted about a year and a half ago with funny names, Chester. And what was the other one? Cheerio. 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 That's yeah. so cool. Uh, and Ben is, is 23. And he, I really like his page. Um, I think anyone who likes lifting and getting strong um, will like his page. And a lot of the things that he talks about really resonates with Craig and I and sort of really focusing on those fundamentals and basics. And I think, um, you know, if you're a woman who's listening to this, most of the women that come and work with us, you know, they, they want that toned and athletic body. Um, and I think where so many of women are going wrong and where I went wrong back in the day is that I did a ton of hit running, boot camps, classes, all of the things that don't actually grow muscle. And I didn't realize that, you know, my performance in the gym, you know, the stronger I got, the more muscle I had, and that was going to give me the body that I wanted. Um, so I think, you know, Ben, yeah, Ben's got a great page. Go, go and follow him. But anyway, Ben, do you want to just, before we start, tell the listeners a bit more about you and what you do and how you sort of got into this? Yeah, sure. So first of all, thanks for having me. love these kinds of, of conversations. It's like my favorite thing to do. So I appreciate being here. Um, seriously. Uh, but in terms of background for me, I am the classic, uh, story of failed athlete turned recreational, uh, lifter. What athlete, what athlete were you? Uh, so I would say my two main sports going into college were American football oh, yeah. and lacrosse, which, yeah. which are, yeah, they're, they're pretty Chad sports, but, uh, um, I, 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 going into college, I initially had planned to play lacrosse, didn't end up working out. So as a consequence, I, I kind of felt like I needed to fulfill some degree of like that competitive need. Um, and I never actually competed in powerlifting, but I powerlifted for a couple of years, got decently strong, but eventually got super bored with it. Um, so I moved on more, you know, toward the hypertrophy realm slash direction. 
Um, and, you know, just kind of throughout that um, time period, I think as a lot of us do, we tend to run into not necessarily similar issues, but just issues physically, whether it be, you know, this muscle keeps getting strained or this joint hurts all the time. And so kind of through that process and, you know, I had lifted my whole life for sports just up to that point, but it was really the first time that I invested a lot of uh, energy into directly learning about the anatomy and the biomechanics, uh, which is kind of what I do now. And so just over time that continued to become more of a passion of mine, not necessarily as opposed to the lifting, but more so just in tandem or at the same time as the lifting progressed. So um, I eventually got into personal training uh, before I even graduated college. I was working with a bunch of different kinds of athletes at my school. So I, you know, I went volunteer and, you know, back in high school too, I, I dabbled with just training friends of mine. So I've always kind of been into the helping other people thing as well. I'm just kind of, you know, along the way. Um, but during, during school, during undergrad, I felt like I, I sort of realized that I didn't really love working directly with athletes because the athletes themselves, 90% of the time didn't even really want to be there, uh, nor did they care to, to learn about anything related to lifting other than just like, Hey, you know, this maybe will make me look a little bit better. Uh, but that even wasn't the case most of the time because a majority of the lifting sessions were at like 6am, 7am. So I quickly realized that I didn't really like working with athletes, at least at the collegiate level. So um, I shifted more of my focus when I graduated toward personal training directly. Um, and like I said, that was kind of always happening in the background to some degree, just with friends. I was training people for free. Um, and and as the personal training books for me uh, started to, to fill and continue to get bigger and bigger, I realized that I had less and less time to kind of devote myself toward all the education stuff, which I would say more recently within the last six months or so, I've really pulled back on the in-person training and I've just dedicated more and more time toward creating educational content. So kind of what I do now is a blend between, I still have a few people that I train every day in, in, in New York, uh, in the actual city, um, uh, just general population clientele, nothing too serious. A couple of bodybuilders occasionally, if they reach out to me and they want to, you know, pay me a visit to, to work on specific things for them. Um, but outside of that, I'm primarily focused in this education realm around exercise mechanics, I would say most generally. And then also, um, you know, just, just helping people achieve the things that they sort of want to in the physical or, or rather in the physique realm. So my training partner, uh, now is, is a pro bodybuilder and he, he got his pro card at some point last year, but I've been training with him for now over a year. So I've learned a lot from him as well, just because, you know, toward the higher levels of, of competition, you, you start to run into different kinds of issues. So working with someone like that has been really insightful for me. And uh, so I've kind of worked myself more into the bodybuilding space as time has gone on as a product of that. Uh, and so kind of what I view my main shtick now as is like educating meatheads uh, or, or people who are traditionally consider themselves to be meatheads. Um, but also just, you know, anyone who really cares to learn more about exercise mechanics, lifting in general, and all those sorts of things. So that's kind of where I'm currently at. You really like your stuff though, because I think it like really focuses on the basics. Like, you know, like it's, it's interesting, Craig, because I am, I don't have a background in coaching or I don't have all the knowledge that Craig has. Um, but it, it, you really seem to focus, like, what are the really big things that, that are going to progress your physique? You know, like I really like, you know, I think sometimes I think things on Instagram, I think, oh, like, or oh, this person isn't progressing. I'm like, 
are you actually doing the list correctly? Are you pushing to failure? Are you being consistent with your nutrition? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you, you know, like just these fundamental things. I'm like, I feel like I've just made so much progress doing and focusing on those things over a long period of time. You know, obviously it takes time to build muscle. Um, so I really, yeah, I think so much, like I said, go and follow him on Instagram. He's awesome. And it's funny. You get some funny comments on your post too. Cause I think sometimes <laughs> what you post is a bit, people don't like it, you know, like yeah, yeah. they get a bit, but it's good. It's great. It creates great conversation. So perhaps the first thing could you talk about is, you know, like going back to this, what women want, you know, they want this toned athlete. I know I say toned is probably not a great way to describe it. That's what they understand, you know, like the toned athletic body. And I think, you know, there's this misconception, like you can't tone a muscle. You can either grow a muscle or you, or it can get smaller. And then, you know, it's how much body fat you hold, which will then basically show off that muscle. So can you explain why? you know, like doing a ton of running and hits and boot camps and classes isn't probably going to get you that physique. Yeah, for sure. So I think it's a super common problem and it will probably unfortunately remain a super common problem for a very, very long time. Um, because I think there's still this sort of stigma or this energy around lifting that makes it seem like it's something just for men. Uh, and that, and it really couldn't be farther from the truth because a lot of the time what ends up happening and with many women that I've worked with personally too, because I, I have worked with a good amount of women just through personal training, is they come from that similar background of like on the treadmill for three hours a day, eating salads for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and just, you know, crushing themselves from, from all those kinds of different angles. Uh, you know, their sleep quality is terrible as we, as we briefly touched on earlier. Um, and I think the primary problem in relation to what you're trying to get at here is there seems to be this really, really high degree of focus on like, how much energy can I burn right now? How much energy can I, can I, uh, make myself run through in this, whether actually with running or some other modality, you know, how much activity can I get in, in any single day? And I don't think that that's necessarily like an, an illogical approach. Like it makes sense in theory mm -hmm. uh, until you start to realize that all of the things that have been espoused for a very long time in, in sort of the weight loss realm, like running, for instance, um, dig you into these sort of holes where you end up in situations where you, you start to realize that the amount of energy that you burn proportionately to the amount of food that most people eat during the day is just the, the, the gap is too large. So go ahead and run a marathon every single day and then eat like five bananas and like the energy is basically like made up, you know, in that sense. So it's just this overblown focus on, on output, right? In the single, how much energy do I burn now? as opposed to the sort of longer term, how can I actually force my system to adapt over a very long period of time? So it's more like we need to start to to get away from this idea that, you know, not only do the um, does the amount of calories or the amount of energy that you burn in a workout not even, not even particularly matter, um, but also even if we are able to measure these things, we see that in, I think some sort of a meta-analysis came out like a couple of years ago on it, that showed basically anywhere from like a 10 to 90% deviation from what the actual calorie number was, was burned during an ex, you know, uh, an exercise bout. Mm -hmm. Right. So not only are we talking about something that we can't even really measure and, and manage, 
Uh, but we're also talking about a, just an incredibly inefficient way to go about trying to move people more toward this toned body sort of a goal as you're describing. And so we kind of come to as a conclusion or what I've come to is like, yeah, running is like a great way to, um, you know, train your cardiovascular system, but it's actually a pretty terrible way to lose weight and maintain weight loss mm -hmm. uh, for some of the reasons we just described. So it's this very energy costly activity that, yeah, sure, you get your heart rate up for X amount of time. Great aerobic work is great for most people. But at the same time, you have to keep in mind that that's not the only you don't just draw that out from any sort of activity and then have no other consequences. Right. And we haven't even talked about any of the joints health related consequences of running for for prolonged periods of time as well. Mm. So I think overall, the, the problem with the um, a, again, with women specifically and uh, moving themselves toward the goals in relation to, uh, you know, muscle building, toning, whatever you want to call it, has has come about in large part because of this fascination with cardiovascular training. But then also sort of, as I briefly mentioned earlier, just the resistance, no pun intended, toward staying away from the weight room because for some reason there's this impression that like, you know, you're you're going to lift a couple weights and then the next day you're going to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? <laughs> it's like, do you know how long, you know, all of the guys who have lifted for decades spend trying to to grow tissue and fail to do so, you know, consistently, repeatedly, one after the other? It's just... You can't count the number of people that like are just frustrated with their progress when these are people who are lifting like two or three hours a day, five to six days a week. Yeah. Right. So there, it's kind of come. I think this problem comes from multiple angles, multiple sides, and we could probably go down either of those rabbit holes for, for a good deal. But those are kind of my general thoughts. And, you know, that's all kind of just made worse by the whole, you know, nutritional side of it as well. Well, you would have noticed this as well, like, um, you know, with our clients, a lot of them, because they're new to lifting, you know, they can go through like a body recomposition process where they're, they, they're eating in a small deficit, but they're still building muscle. But what we find, and just an example of this is a client that I interviewed on our podcast. So she'd come in typical, like, you know, eating fuck all and, you know, doing heaps of cardio. And I just, you know, cause I keep binge eating. So my weight's going up and down. I think we had her on like 2000 calories a day, lifting three days a week, you know, pushing her, pu pushing hard into training, you know, she's growing muscle, but I find that they can, um, eat more and still lose body fat and build muscle at the same time. Obviously they're new to lifting, like probably it's not going to work so well for someone like me, but that the, the, and you might be able to comment on this, uh, like tell me the figures, but. Craig and I were talking about, you know, like obviously the m muscle at rest burns more calories, right? Like it burns and it burns fat for fuels. But he was telling me that, you know, one pound of muscle, and I don't know these are the exact numbers, only actually really burns this many more calories. And I was like, oh, that's actually not that much. But we were talking about that it's, it's the recovery process that's so energy intensive. So when you're pushing hard and we talk about these pushing to failure, eating the food, like I've even noticed with myself, like I'm going through a muscle building phase now where I'm really, I've, I had a surgery. So I've only like, I'm like five weeks back. It's sort of taking about five or six weeks to really get back into it. Um, and now that I'm pushing really hard, like, you know, we were squatting on Monday, a couple of sets to, I'm just so hungry. Like I'm yeah. so hungry. Like it's that, it's that recovery, the, the building of the muscle that seems to require so much energy. Yep. Maybe can you talk a bit about that? D does that make yeah. sense what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Um, so, so, I, so I completely agree. Um, 
from from what I understand about the sort of X's and O's of the, of the physiology, which is very surface level relative to someone who's kind of an expert in that domain. Um, for for a lot of people, especially who, like you mentioned, start to get into lifting, there does appear to be this time period where not only can you basically do anything in terms of the exercise selection, the amount that you do, the volume, whether you train to failure, you just make an enormous amount of progress, like at, at a pretty ridiculous rate. Yeah. And, you know, for some people that lasts a couple months, for some people that lasts two years, right? And usually the people that la it lasts two years for are the people you see, you know, on the Olympia stage in, you know, five, 10 years. So, but anyway, um, I do agree that the recovery process is, is highly energy uh, intensive, but I also think an important commentary or, or just an important piece of this as well, which is closely tied in with that is this focus on, I, I like to use like a car sort of analogy uh, to, to describe this kind of a thing where it's it what it feels like and specifically as it relates to the previous question when we talked about running it feels like most people are trying to like deck out the outside of their cars like oh what can i paint the car this way can i put make this windshield i'm not a car person okay but like can i make this windshield wiper do this thing instead of this other thing can i make the seats look dope right rather than like looking at the sort of um the structure and the intricacy of the engine and trying to improve the efficient the efficiency of the engine, right? And so that's what I almost view muscle building as in the process of what you're describing with, you know, not only the recovery process, but then the process of just continually getting bigger and and stronger or leaner, whatever you want to, you know, whatever your goals happen to be, is all of that tends to make just the system as a whole more efficient, right? So yeah, you could maybe have a specific goal. It's like, I want to grow my biceps and my triceps, or I want to grow my delts, or I want to grow my legs. But ultimately, at the end of the day, what does end up happening a majority of the time is you get this massive shift just in the distribution of like where most of your weight is. So if you're someone who's super lean and you proportionately have a lot more muscle mass than you do fat mass or or, or other uh, mass, you know, let's, well, you know, if you're someone who tends to hold a lot of water, that's obviously like a different story and situational, but, um, what you tend to see in those kinds of people is they, and you know, whether this is a direct correlation or just sort of a more generalized correlation, they tend to be more aerobically fit. They tend to be people who, who move more on a daily basis. So I do think that the actual recovery process is part of it, but I also look at it a little bit more broadly to say that like, Generally speaking, the people who are getting more fit from a muscular perspective are also doing all the other things that relate to that whole picture of just making their entire system more efficient, right? And and back to this sort of aerobic component to this, which is like for the listeners, like just the sort of cardio component you can think of it as is like you become all cardio really is, is just repeated contraction that your heart has to sustain, right? So a lot of people a lot of the cardio that they may need, they may get just from lifting weights and lifting weights intensely, um, especially if you're someone who's never lifted before. So all of those things are kind of encompassed in the resistance training, the lifting picture. Whereas with these other kinds of modalities, like the, you know, just the strict running, or maybe you're just killing yourself on a rower for 60 minutes a day. It's like, will you get something out of that? Of course, but you sort of lose all these, uh, these other sort of tangential or uh, uh, benefits, these side benefits that the resisting the resistance training process can provide, which is, you know, as I mentioned earlier, 
just a little bit more of this global impact as opposed to just the local muscular impact. Because like you mentioned, I don't think that it's necessarily the fact that, you know, this specific tissue burns so many more calories than this other specific tissue. Yeah. It's sort of the amalgam, the amalgamation of all these other factors that have to go into that muscle building process, right? Mm-hmm. People eat more clean as, as a result of, you know, feeling like they've accomplished something. Maybe they feel sore, so they're more inclined you know, maybe to pay attention to their sleep, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of confounding variables with that. But if I had to kind of like summarize it more concisely, mm-hmm. um, I would say that like, yeah, I, we could look into the sort of physiological or someone could look into the physiological aspects of that. But I think it's more like I look at it a little bit more broad scope in the sense of all of this stuff sort of comes together to form better habits as mm-hmm. opposed to necessarily any of the individual mechanisms that may play into more energy expended. At the end, this is just something that I've just noticed. I'm not, I'm just, this is just with the clients that we have. So the one, you know, there's some that come in that for whatever reason, they haven't been able to uh, strength train like injuries or whatever, sickness or whatever, that sure. they, they've still lost weight and they've walked. So we all encourage all of our clients to walk. So they, you know, they're 8,000 steps, 10,000 steps a day, whatever. Um, the ones that actually sh- can sh- commit to three days a week strength training and they get stronger in say, you know, six, 12 month period versus the ones that, and say they're doing the same amount of steps, they just can eat more and still lose weight. Like it's that, it just seems consistent with the ones that actually can really commit to the training and build that muscle and get stronger. They like might be able to maintain on two or two, 2,200, whereas the ones who are just walking and doing no strength training, they've still lost the body fat, but they're maintaining at like 1,800 calories. And this is just an example. Like I just see that consistently. So the strength training... And would you just say that is, it's just the building more muscle. It's the muscle building. Yes. So a big part of that too is this conversation around um, insulin sensitivity. Mm-hmm. So for those of you who don't maybe know kind of what the role of insulin in the system is, is like insulin is basically this thing that gets shot into your bloodstream whenever you eat a carb. And as soon as you uh, put sugar into your bloodstream, insulin grabs the sugar and it sucks it into the muscle, right? So it it makes a little bit of sense in terms of just this general idea of like, okay, if I have more muscle mass and I improve the ability for, uh, we'll say, you know, you could call it sensitivity of insulin. You could call it just the efficiency, whatever you want to say. Having more tissue to, to be able to pull more blood sugar out of the bloodstream from the standpoint of you feeling maybe more hungry on a consistent basis seems logical enough to me. Um, you see this a lot in in uh, pro bodybuilding where people will call this going hypo or hypoglycemic, right? which is where your blood sugar basically drops to like nothing. And it's because they have so much tissue. They have so much muscle mass. And obviously this is a more extreme example, so I don't want to scare anyone with it. Mm-hmm. But like the second that they finish their training, they're like, I got to eat now, Right, because all of the resources, all of the the energy that's sitting in their in their blood as a as a form of you know either stored sugar or sugar that they've ingested during the workout gets sucked right into the tissue, right? And so obviously there's a whole host of sort of hormonal cascades that go into you know that goes into hunger signals. But I think a big part of the reason that people, especially immediately, starts to start to experience those bouts of like greater immediate like oh shit, I'm really hungry right now is because of that improved efficiency of not only just the individual tissues, but the entire system getting better at utilizing energy in the first place, right? And so muscle building and specifically resistance training is actually a very costly 
uh, activity or a very costly process. So what ends up happening is I think you end up proportionately not only, you know, utilizing energy more effectively, but you're also able to, as you build tissue, proportionately scale that amount so that you end up uh, releasing higher amounts of insulin to, to suck in higher amounts of, of uh, sugar from the bloodstream to produce maybe greater hunger signals and those sorts of things. So, um, you know, in short, I would kind of say that, you know, insulin can be a big part of it just because, and, and for those of you who don't know, uh, like bodybuilders use insulin that comes from outside of their body. And the reason that they do that is to basically, um, obviously most people won't be doing that, but just as an example, they use that kind of a drug specifically for the reason of allowing that system to be more, even more efficient. And that's something that you see change very, very rapidly in people who start to lift weights is, as you said, they report feeling more hungry. And I think that's a huge piece to the puzzle where it's almost like you can think about muscle tissue as this like extra sort of layer of armor that's able to basically uh, utilize more carbohydrates uh, than, you know, you would otherwise actually be able to to utilize. So you see all kinds of good things happen. And, um, you know, for, for those of you who may have like some, some friend or a couple friends who have been diabetic, people who are diabetic effectively either become that because they're so overweight or maybe they're just born that way, like the type one sort of a, a situation because they can't utilize insulin effectively. Again, whether that's genetic or sort of something that they've exposed themselves to, the reason that diabetics use insulin is, is so that they can actually uh, utilize energy and pull sugar out of their bloodstream. So the more muscle you build, the better you get at using energy. The better you get at using energy, the more energy you probably are going to need to be able to ingest to sustain your, you know, just whatever state you are building or are moving toward. Which is, I think for anyone that's listening, all the women that I speak to, it's like awesome because who doesn't want to eat more food? Like, yes. yeah, yeah, like what the, the, what the coach that I'm training at the moment, Adam, like we always, because I just love food. Like I just really like eating, you know, and we're just talking yeah. about, he's like, I just have to get really strong so you can eat even more food. And I'm like, that's really good motivation to me because I think that's why a lot of people get into lifting to be honest. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's why partly why I did. So. Oh, same. I'm like, I just, you know, it just, it's such a black and white from my old days of, you know, I'd get up in the morning fasted. You know, drink my black coffee and pre-workout. I'd go and do some stupid circuit workout at the gym. Then I'd eat like a quarter of a cup of oats and some protein powder. Then it'd be like green vegetables and salads and lean meats all day. And I was just starving. But then I'd end up binge eating. And now I eat like sourdough crumpets with jam and cheese and eggs and milky coffee. with the bomb. You know, it's just, yeah, ladies, like health benefits of obviously having more muscle is good. But just eating, being able to eat more. And maintain a better body composition, I think, is such a great um, benefit too. So, okay, next question. You know, a lot of women, like, like as, again, I just like to use examples. So I, I signed up a lady six months ago into our program. She's like, I'm training five days a week, Kitty, but I'm just not seeing the results. I feel like I train a lot. You know, I see them, they're just doing three, four, five sets of fixed rep exercises. Um, you know, like, how do you actually grow muscle? Like what's, what, how, how do you do it? Give us a simple explanation. Sure. So, um, muscles respond to force, right? So pick up a dumbbell. That's a way to create force on your body as you pick up a weight, uh, through a force called tension, right? So everyone has heard, oh, keep the tension, create the tension, maintain the tension. You want to keep the tension. 
tension is basically just a pulling force, right? So if you uh, have a rope and you wrap it around a pole and you pull on the rope, that rope creates a tension force, right? So that's all your tissues are doing when you're lifting is they're just creating tension forces between bones, right? Which moves joints. You create enough um, high, high um, enough of high amounts of tension in, in your tissues, you basically end up with this situation where you can think of like a muscle fiber. There are millions and millions and millions of fibers in your body, right? And every single muscle, every single division of every single muscle has a thousands of fibers likely because they're so microscopic. But at that single cell level, what ends up happening is because of that tension, you end up with a physical deformation or kind of like you can think of it as like a squishing of the cell. And when the cell is squished, you get the signaling cascade, right? Obviously very, hopefully this is a good visual maybe for people. Uh, when the cell is squished, you end up with this signaling cascade that does a bunch of complicated stuff that I, I probably couldn't explain particularly well, nor will I try, that basically tells the body or the tissue specifically, hey, we need to pour resources into this thing to make it better at dealing with this squishing kind of a thing, right? So it, it, it kind of goes in that sort of... Um, I would say a, a direct way with with every tissue in your body, right? This this doesn't just apply to muscle tissue. The concept of hypertrophy or muscle growth, right? All cells tend to to respond this way. So even uh, uh, tissues like ligaments and tendons, right? We know from years and years of research that when they have to deal with these same tension based forces, they also get thicker, they also get stronger, and in some cases, they also get bigger. So um, that's kind of the the sequence of events that occurs where you apply the tension force to the muscle, the muscle gets, you know, it accumulates enough of high amounts of tension, the cells squish, signal cascade goes off, brain says, hey, make this thing bigger, more more uh, adaptable, more, uh, more resilient to be able to deal with more future bouts of the same thing, mm. right? Which is why there is that, you know, whole sort of recovery window that we have where we actually need time to perform that, repair process so that we don't end up with the cells that are still kind of going through that unsquishing process, if you will. Yeah, no, that, yeah, that makes sense. So like, and this is again, yeah, like I don't have the knowledge that like, say you and Craig have, but I remember when I first met Craig and he was sort of like trying to explain to me, you know, like how I was going to get this physique that I wanted. And he's like, okay, kitty, like see these pictures of these chicks, like they were quite muscular. And he's like, you know, like, what do you think, like, I can't remember who he was showing me. It was some, someone who was quite strong. And he's like, what do you think they can squat? What do you think they can deadlift? And, and I'm like, oh, fuck, I don't know. And he was telling me and he's like, well, what can you squat? And what can you deadlift? And I was like, oh, okay. So what you're saying is that <laughs> if I add more weight to the bar over time, like if I'm stronger, I'm going to like grow more muscle. He's like, that's right. So I want you to go into the gym and try and over time improve your performances. So, you know, like when I started, I could deadlift like 60 kilos for 10. You know, when I, when I could deadlift 120 kilos for 10, my body looked significantly pretty different. Yeah. 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 Yes. And I was like, this really seems quite simple. So all you're saying is like, I really need to just get strong. I know there's obviously more to it than that, but... You know, I feel like a lot of women, when I speak to them, I, they're like, look, I don't look like I want to look. I'm, I'm like, okay, well, tell me about some of the lifts that you do. Like, do you squat? You know, do you fucking hack squat? I don't know. Like, whatever they, there's some sort of more compound movements. And I'm like, so tell me the numbers that you do. And they tell me. And then I'm like, okay, cool. So I'm similar weight to you, but I could do this. And then they're like, oh, okay, that, that makes sense. So like, 
I know it's not that simple. Oh, or is it that simple? Like, so the answer, so I would say the answer yes is and no. <laughs> yes and no. I would say for 99% of the, the population, probably yes, it's probably that simple. Mm. Uh, I think where that logic can maybe be misconstrued is as, oh, in any given exercise, the more weight that I do, mm. the better off I will be. And oftentimes that same logic is the logic that leads people down the, the injury pathway that leads people down the pathway of, uh, we'll say negating their, their priority and technique, uh, or, or other sorts of things. Let, let's I just guess. assume though, like you, you know, cause something that we teach you in our program, technique first, fundamental, like learn the lift correctly yeah. and then, and also assuming that your technique is good, you know, okay. like yeah. this is like, let's say big women that come in that have never lifted before. And they're like yeah. deadlifting like 40 kilos for 10 reps. Yeah. But and the, the cool reality of that too, in terms of just making technique a priority, is if you tell some, and people do this at the highest level too, is if you just tell someone like, hey, just make this lift, assuming that you've given them boundaries, obviously, guidelines, yeah. just make this lift as technically perfect as possible. They will see, they'll have to put more weight on the bar. Like they're not going to have to, They're. it's just going to get too easy for them to the point where it's like, oh, the weight that you add is actually just a consequence of you just getting better at the movement, right? Yeah. So if you just focus on getting better at the movement continually, you, you don't have to worry about forcing more weight onto the bar. You just add more weight onto the bar when it meets what you need as a demand and as a stress, Yeah. right? So I'm, I'm totally on board with the whole technique thing. Of course, there are extremes to everything. So, you know, if you're, if you're a personal trainer listening and, and you're kind of like one of those people who you know, doesn't let anyone move because their technique has to be like 110% correct 110% of the time, then that's a different set of issues. But I, I don't see most people taking it that far. So generally yeah. speaking. Yeah, like Craig sometimes says to me, it's not fucking ballet, Hitty. Like sure. you want to, he's like, you know, says you want you to standardize your reps and then, you know, push them to failure with st with standardized, like, so they're not looking disgusting and dirty, you know, <laughs> like, but I think, yeah, like a lot of women, they just, I also think that women, and you might be able to comment on this, like, well, again, I just going back to when I first met Craig, I really was, couldn't, I can't believe what I've become capable of, if that makes sense. Like, I think sometimes women might look at me and some other more advanced women in our program and go, wow, like I could never lift that much. But, you know, I think you are much more capable of, of more than what you realize. Do you think yeah. like, they, they go like, I am lifting kitty. I am pushing hard in the gym. When you watch them, you're like, you're not really like, mm -hmm. you know, do, do you think that with women? Like they just, they don't but maybe believe that they're capable of more. So it's really been, um, I've really seen a difference across personality types because yeah. I've worked with a few girls who are just like the type of people that you have to hold back because they just want to do more and they want to do it harder and they want to do it for longer. And I've met other, you know, women who basically just come into the gym and just want to talk about, you know, animals for 60 minutes. And, you know, the best that I can do is try to distract them from the slight amount of discomfort that they're experiencing on a set that's like 20 reps away from failure. So <laughs> I, you know, I do think that there is a time and a place to sort of pull people back and maybe push people more in that direction. But I do think that on the whole, if, you know, uh, if, if any women who are listening are, are super into lifting now and they're kind of struggling with that idea or, or that ability rather to actually push themselves, 
I would just say that like, you know, everyone is going to kind of fall somewhere different in that regard. And some people kind of use the weight room as this thing to like cope with problems that they're dealing with. And, and you know, those are the kinds of people that really just drive themselves into the ground. Uh, and other people may be more tilted toward like, yeah, not really caring that much about it. And, and that's okay too. But from the standpoint of like the, the, the group of people that actually want to see more progress and genuinely do care about it, which I assume is a majority of your, your listeners uh, and obviously the people in your program, I think that a really, really good sort of a, a, of a strategy to use in terms of just, you know, uh, maybe conceptualizing it a, a little bit differently is not as like, pain from experiencing harder kinds of exercise or you know we talked about sets to failure very briefly before we started here i think the the reason that people stray away from the harder sets is because they're they they view it in a way where it's like the pain is like part of them and and it's it's this thing that like they they experience and that they need to run away from rather than just sort of viewing it as like a sensation that you are experiencing that is not necessarily the same as you. So this is where for some people it starts to get like a little bit philosophical and like weird. But for me, what I'm doing, cause I do every single set and this is not for everyone, but the way that I train, I do every single set across every single exercise right now to failure. Same. And what I do Same. is, yeah, and it's great. And the reason it's great is because I don't try to run away from it. Yeah. And the more that, and I see this a lot in clients is like, what tends to happen is people, as they start to fatigue, as things start to get harder, they actually run away from the pain and they either stop or they deviate the way that they're doing the exercise such that they can keep doing reps in an easier way. Mm-hmm. When in reality, it's like if you just kind of like welcomed it a little bit and you just yeah. were like, oh, this is a weird feeling, but like I'm going to explore it. It's almost like this thing that's um, like calming in a weird sort of a way where it's almost like you're not actually in it and like, oh, I'm in so much pain. It's more like you're somewhat of like a third party and you're almost just like watching it like happen to you. And you're just like, oh, this is a, just a feeling that's happening to me right now. And it doesn't actually mean that much. So I think this is where the psychology part of it can really change people's experience with the gym yeah. and specifically their results and being able to actually train harder is typically we have the sort of uh, no pain, no gain mentality when it comes to this. And I think that scares people because people don't like pain and people don't like yeah. think about pain in that sort of a way. So if you more so look at it as just like, yeah, uh, this is just a sort of, un, you know, a feeling that I associate with discomfort right now, there's no reason that you can't actually just work to experience that feeling more and explore that feeling more and recognize that it is just a sensation. Uh, and it is something that a lot of people sort of overstate as something that needs to be a bad thing inherently when it's like, no, that's kind of the thing that you're actually trying to do. So don't like run away from the failure, like move toward the failure. And Mm -hmm. eventually I think, you know, that's the only way that you end up being able to actually train hard consistently and sustainably is if you better your relationship with the thing that you currently think is really uncomfortable and and, uh, difficult to experience, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And I think too, once you do it, you get, like you say, you get used to it. And I think, you know, like once you've, you know, like say if I've come back from a deload, I'll just sort of start and I'll, I'll push it. And then I'll be like, all right, this is the new starting point. And then every week I've just got to try and build and get like one more rep or like the progression system that I use in my program is like our first set. I just do six to nine. And when I get to nine, 
and fail, then I'll increase the weight and then I'll do as many as I can. And then the next set I do like, this is just exit. This is just one way that we do it. Like then we do nine to 13. Um, and then some things will do higher reps in. So like, I think in my head, I'm like, all right, if I failed at seven, I only have to just get one more rep next week. I'll, sure. I'll do more if I, if I can, if I feel good. Like I think too, some days, you know, some weeks you're like, you feel good and you can push a little bit harder and other weeks you'll go, look, I'm just going to, even if I hit the same as last week, like, you're not, sometimes you feel it and sometimes you don't, but I think, well, yeah. It's, yeah. Well, it's, it's one comment on that is, is, is maybe a little bit of a perspective shifting thing where what, what you're describing is really common where people maybe do the same thing two weeks in a row and they view that as like, oh, I didn't make progress this week. But in reality, in, and in a sense, you did make progress because let's say you did a set of eight last week and you repeated a set of eight this week instead of maybe nine or 10 like you were expecting. You actually put yourself in a position where you did that set of eight twice, where previously you actually only did it once. Yeah. So you, you see, kind of see what I'm saying there? Yeah. So it's like maybe you expected nine or 10, but like you still did the same workout again. So yeah. that may have been a sufficient stimulus for you to continue to build. I think too, yeah, like women, like how I look at it is I always, I just think in 12 months, like 12 months, I think, okay, if I just continue this little bit of progress, even if some week it's, it's, you know, I'm not adding weight or reps to the bar. Like you've got to look at it instead of looking at week to week, look at over at a longer period of time. Um, and I think to me, that just makes it easier as well. Cause it's like you say, like muscle takes time to build. It's not quick, you know? Um, and really if you can just keep consistently showing up and if some weeks, like you say, if you do all like some weeks, I'll, it might be a bit heavy in my form. I might think, oh, that's a bit sloppy. You know, I'm just going to do the same weight, but I'm going to tidy it up. Or I'll jerk. Maybe my squats weren't as deep as I wanted them to be. So I'm, I just did the same weight again, got them good, perfect, like more efficient to depth, and then I'll increase the weight. So to me, I'm like, oh, that's progress. You know, I'm yeah. still making progress. So back to, can you talk about why you think training to failure is necessary to build muscle? So the first thing I would say, and it's just kind of like as a little caveat with this, is like if you're new to training, uh, and you just, like we mentioned, or we're talking about earlier, you just kind of focus on technique, that sort of process of the tension based deformation thing that we went through that will happen like very easily with not too much effort. And that's why people grow very quickly, even when they're not training remotely close to failure. But the more experience that you get, the more, um, and I do generally think that like learning to train to failure earlier on in a career is much uh, it's like a much better thing for people uh, can i just ask you a quick question ben sorry so when, yeah. when you say then you want to train to failure but you want to keep your form standardized like the rep standardized so if you go if you're a new lifter and go okay i can do just an example six squats with good form and then after six it really starts to break down i just push it to six is that right so sort of what i it? yeah so yeah. when i call that is i call that technical failure so, you know, if you do six on the seventh, you know, maybe instead of staying upright like you intended, maybe your butt shoots way back and your knees sort of cave, whatever it is, right? Um, so I do draw the line at like a technical failure point. Mm -hmm. But the problem with a lot of newer lifters, as you're, which is you kind of alluded to, is like their technique starts to break down before they get to the point of true muscular failure, mm -hmm. which is why using machines is incredibly valuable. Because there's no, there's very little constraint oftentimes on the skill component, right? Which is incredible. And, and, and this really screws a lot of people over, I think, early on when they don't, when they operate under the assumption that like machines are like the devil and 
you know, will make people like blocks of ice who like can walk properly. It's like, no, no, no. It's all just force. And you just have, you know, versions of force that are more constrained, i.e. machines that allow you to not fuck up as easily. Yeah. Uh, which people still do, you know, fuck up tremendously <laughs> machines. But, you know, for the most part, if you're dealing with a competent coach, like I'm sure you are, you just put yourself in a scenario where it's easy to perform a skill. Right. And it's much more difficult to not perform the skill. So uh, so, sort of sidebar there. But 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 that's um, not I really like that because a lot of the women, if they're listening to this, another side note is when I when they when they join, I say, look. So they're like, oh, I've just got this basic home gym, you know, with maybe a barbell. I'm like, look, just join a gym because I say I think also too, like trying to teach someone online how to squat is a lot harder than trying to teach someone in person. And unless you're like some people like you, you're, we get women who are athletic, you know, they've played sport. They just seem to move better and pick things up quickly. So we're, I'm always like, look, just join a gym because then, you know, we can, if you really want to learn how to squat, we can teach you, but we can also get you on the hack squat. And that requires little skill, not much skill, like some skill, but we can push you harder. Like say, you can get closer to that muscular failure without the risk of injury, you know? So we try and program a blend of machines and free work. Um, and I, I just think like, if you really want to make good progress, just join a gym, like just bite the bullet and join a gym because, or unless you've got hundreds of like thousands of dollars to set up a sweet ass home gym that has a hack squad, a leg press, you know, like all these good machines. I really like that point you made. Cause I really try and encourage women. I'm like, just join a gym. It'll be easier. You'll get less frustrated. Cause trust me, trying to learn how to squat. Like, I feel, I don't know you might disagree with this, but I personally, I feel like squatting is the, has been the hardest exercise for me to learn to do well. Yeah. There are so many complexities with learning a movement like that, that, that unfortunately being the standard of like where people should start is like horrific to me. Mm-hmm. It's like, that is the expectation. It's like you're, you're giving you are throwing the exercise that could not be more of like a kitchen sink exercise at the person who literally doesn't even know how to like properly squat up from a chair. You know, yeah. like who the fuck are we to, to, you know, give the person who's never lifted that. But uh, I, an example of that too, that happened somewhat recently. So this year, I don't remember, how, I don't know how long ago now, I started training my uh, my cousin who also happens to live in the city. In the city. He has never, literally never played a sport and has never ever lifted in his life. And I kid you not, for the first three months that we were training together, I just had him do, I think he saw me on average two or three times a week, one of the two, depending on the week. I had him do the same workout for three months. And every single every single workout, it was literally just like rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. And just for example, like one of the upper body things that we did as a superset was like, uh, machine chest supported row with a machine converging press. And guess what? The second that I introduced a dumbbell press, right? A more, a less constrained movement. All he had to do was his brain had to be like, oh wait, I've like done something like this before. Oh, machine press. He picks up the dumbbells and just like starts hammering them. Right. And I know that generally speaking, he's not someone who's like more athletic or more coordinated. I know that. Right. So even if you are someone who is not as coordinated, athletically gifted, you know, and you do use these machines for long enough, yeah, certain she- machines like totally suck. I get that. Um, but with what we had access to, I literally just put him in the machine for three months. He came out of it and it was like the dumbbell press. I didn't even, I barely had, the only thing I had to teach him was like how to get the dumbbells into the, the proper position, like up from his knees, right? Yeah, and everything yeah. is like smooth sailing. 
Um, yeah. I think it just gives you a bit more confidence too, don't you think, the beginners, like when they can see that progress and their body's changing and it's like, you know, don't feel bad that you're not squatting or you, it just doesn't matter. Like if you're hack right. squatting or you're V squatting or you're, you know, leg pressing, like we can, a lot of our clients, they can load a lot more weight on the leg press and push to failure without, you know, and they, their legs start to grow and they're not yep. squatting, you know? Um, but as we're back, I don't, oh, sorry, go, yeah, go. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say that, like, I do think that a majority of people that I work with now are like the people who will just do whatever I say. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how painful or stupid it is, um, or how much setup it requires. It's like, they're going to do it. But a lot of people, uh, you know, are more emotional probably than the people that I work with. And so they may be like, for instance, the benefit of the leg grass is like, you can load up a lot of weight and you can train close to failure. But if you have a client or if you're working with someone who has a really, uh, you know, terrifying experience with that, then like purposefully choosing a a more skill-based movement may actually be a good thing where you actually are intentionally limiting the amount of stress that they can create because they have to manage the skill. So there's kind of like a time and place I view for, for every one of these things, but 90% of the time, if it's up to me, I'm going to start with more external support, like in a leg press, I'm going to start with more guidance and more constraints so that people can actually learn how to produce force. And then by the time they move to these other exercises, it ends up being a lot easier to teach and to learn because they already have a general understanding, their brain rather has a general understanding of like how to actually push into something. Yeah. Um, because that's not something you experience really on a, on a daily basis, just in normal life. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. So back to the, like, why <laughs> we got sidetracked, but why this, and I agree, like when I, when I started training with Craig and he taught me how to train hard and, you know, I, I'd say I'm a pretty reasonably athletic, like I played lots of sports. So I just picked it up quite quickly and I've got a lot of grit you know, like I can really, and I've, tra- and I've trained beyond failure, like doing those rest pause sets, which I don't do yeah. because they just fuck me. Like it's too, you know, now when I train to failure, I think, oh, that's, it's hard, but it's not that hard because I've pushed beyond that now. And I can still easily, like I can still recover, but why is it the training to failure? Like, this is why I think a lot of women don't make progress is because they're pulling up like five reps short. Like they've got more in the tank. Right. Right. Yeah. So apologies for the sidetracking. Yeah. Um, Okay. Yeah. Cause we started getting the whole beginner, but if you're somewhere in the middle, right, let's say like the population that we're sort of speaking to now and you are not, and you're not seeing progress. And oftentimes the people that I hear sort of make this complaint, they're doing a lot of volume of a lot yeah. of different exercises rather than like one or two sets that are actually yeah. hard. Yeah. And then shocking when you teach people how to actually fail and they're, they're doing like a quarter of the volume and they're seeing like twice the progress. It's pretty, pretty crazy. Um, so I can confirm that. Uh, but in terms of like why the failure is important, the more that you train, the more that this whole deformation process requires higher thresholds of stress, right? So basically what that means is that, you know, if you did a set originally and you were a beginner, maybe you were like three and four reps away from actually the set being difficult, you know, maybe that was enough for that specific period in time. But, you know, maybe as soon as a month later or even less, that same amount of stimulus is not going to be the thing that continues to push you forward, right? So you progressively need to to move yourself into into areas, into into weights, into difficulties that you haven't pushed yourself before. And for someone like you, for instance, who has been training to failure for quite some time now, 
the buttons you're able to push are probably more related to the load rather than just the effort and the exercise, right? Because eventually you get to a point where maybe all of your sets are to failure, like like yours and mine are, and like you have to work with other toggles to make things harder, which is where you know load comes in, maybe more volume, um, maybe just certain uh, pairings and supersets, whatever it may be. But for the average person who isn't seeing that progress, the reason that learning to make your sets actually difficult and actually close to muscular failure is because, again, you've probably adapted to a point where, you know, what may have been enough a month or two ago is now no longer enough. And that's sort of the 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 great but also terrible thing about exercise is that, like, you have to keep coming back and you have to make it worse. Uh, and eventually, if and that's why I think learning to train to failure is also so important psychologically is that it doesn't end up actually being worse if you make it the worst it can be immediately, right? Mm -hmm. So the sooner that you kind of learn to actually train to, to to failure sooner on in your career and you do it in a way that's safely and in a way that's standardized, like you said, and in a way that's actually consistent across weeks, now it's like this thing that's just like, again, you work with the other toggles. But from the actual like mechanistic standpoint, it's because you've gotten to a certain place using a certain amount of stress and you're going to need more than that amount of stress to continue to move yourself in the direction that you want. So I just look at it as like, how much stress are you putting on the system, the specific muscle, the specific joint? Because whatever you did last week, it's highly likely that, yeah, maybe for a week or two, that same thing can work. But eventually, again, the body is is, is pretty uh, cool in this sort of a way. It's like, you have to keep giving yourself something new that you haven't experienced. And that doesn't necessarily need to be a different exercise. It could just be higher levels of effort, which create higher uh, sort of thresholds that you have to be able to or uh, need to be able to continue to adapt, right? But it's just like it's just like anything else, right? It's just like any other skill, right? People who are in professional sports uh, need to, you know, put themselves in a situation where uh, they are continually exposing themselves to the same degrees of stress over and over and over and over again because they've gotten to such a point where you know maybe they could do it and they could do a skill every other day and their progress would be great but now you see like people who are in you know and i don't know name the sport it's like they do the skill pretty much every day because if they don't they actually start to lose that ability and that skill and that precision that they had it's the same concept it just now applies to something that's more like structurally related that you have to actually change to continue to produce or build muscle Rather, so I look at it in it as as exactly the same way as I would any other sort of adaptation, because all adaptations, regardless of whether it's you know related to the to the human body directly or maybe it's something that's more tangential, more psychological, all these things follow the exact same pattern, which is basically the more advanced that you get, the more skilled that you get, the more experience that you have, the higher levels of that original stress you need to be able to continue to to move in the direction that you want to. And look, this is just something, I don't know the names of these because this is Craig talks to me about it. And sometimes I'm just like, uh, whatever, but like, this is the whole like training to failure, but all more volume. And I just know from my own experience, like, you know, like they say, oh, it's too taxing on your central nervous system and you can't recover. And I think like, this is just me speaking from my own experience. Like I've trained beyond failure. Like for me, if I, as long as I don't do paused reps, so as long as I train to, I, you know, like I sort of have this, and again, this is just my own, what I do is like a rule of, I can't stop for more than like a couple of seconds to breathe. Like if I'm sitting there for sure. five seconds, that's counted. Yeah. That's over. Do you know what I mean? 
So as long as I do pretty continuous reps, I might get to the end and be like, okay, just re on a squat, for example, rebrace, couple more breaths, and I'll get one last rep out. As long as I do it like that and my form's not filthy, you know, like then I seem to be able to progress every week. And yeah, I feel tired, like after a big squat day, but I'm not, I can recover and then show up again the next week and continue. So like, I guess, does it depend on, Craig always says this to me, like, what's the definition of failure? Like, do you have to put some parameters around it to go like, okay, these are my, like as an example, I know it works. Like if I do a leg press where, because this guy, Adam, that I train with, he really likes to like really push it. I hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. I just wanted to jump in quickly and talk a little bit more about our seven-day Eat More, Train Less, Get Results Challenge. So if you're new to the podcast um, and following me, or say you've been following me for a while and you've been sitting on the fence, the challenge is a great way to get started. Craig and I developed the challenge after working with women for over eight years, and it was purposely built for women who want to achieve sustainable results without drastically cutting calories, sugar and carbs, or working out six days a week. So we want to show you how you can lose weight, tone up, but also feel good. So that means good sleep, no bloating, constipation, stable energy and moods, regular and relatively symptom-free periods, and no perimenopausal or menopausal symptoms. Unlike other programs that you'll find online, it's a holistic approach. So it provides you everything you need for long-term sustainable weight loss and body composition change while feeling good. So the seven-day challenge uh, provides a full meal plan, a workout plan for home and the gym, with training exercise videos to guide your workouts. We've got metabolically supportive recipes, a recipe book, advanced supplement guides, direct support via our private community um, and Facebook page, and most importantly, education for long, long-term success. So I actually got this great message in our private Facebook group yesterday from a woman who's listened to the podcast for two years, but only recently joined the challenge. So she said, I've been listening to the podcast for a couple of years, but just joined the challenge four days ago. I want to express my gratitude for all the amazing information Kitty and Craig offer in this challenge. I was hesitant to sign up because I only have dumbbells at home and I'm not ready to join the gym, but I'm super impressed so far and really excited to make positive changes in my life. So the challenge is a one-off payment of 27 Australian dollars and you get lifetime access and we have clients all over the world in the program. So I'm going to pop a link in the show notes with more information and let's get back to the podcast. You know, we did a block of where we were doing like leg press, but I could pause and, but I had to get the reps, you know, like, so I'd had to, and we do like 20 plus 20 to 30 set rep leg press with heavy weight. Yeah. And so I'd be sitting there for five, 10 seconds and, and that destroyed me because that was pushing me. Do you know what I mean? Like there's yeah. that beyond failure. So do you need to sort of put some, I don't know if I'm articulating this very well, but like what defines failure? Like, yeah. So I would say that failure has, and there's there's no general way to say that, right? Because, and that's the question that I think people just continue to spin their wheels about is failure does failure doesn't exist outside of the context of a specific exercise, mm -hmm. right? So for me, when we talk about failure training, it needs to be contextual to not only the person and their experience and their skill, but also what specific activity, what, speci what are the specific forces of the scenario that they're dealing with mm. that, um, you know, change the potential outcome of what you define as failure, right? So I'll give you for uh, an example here. If I'm doing a leg extension, most people, when they get on most leg extensions, uh, 
can sort of uh, understand that like the most valuable, or I don't want to say most valuable, but generally speaking, the hardest portion of the rep is like the top of the rep. That's where people tend to want to not go. It's like yeah. they get to the top and they want to stay away from it. So if you're in a leg extension machine, that just because of the mechanics of the machine is really heavy at the top, that that doesn't make any sense from like a profile standpoint in terms of like if anyone understands like strength profiles, it basically means how strong are my quads in this top position versus how strong are they in the bottom? And everyone, doesn't matter what your uh, what your shape is, what your limb lengths are, what gender you are, your your quads are going to be stronger and they're going to be better at producing force when your knee is more bent in the leg extension. So if a machine is op works opposite to you, i.e. the machine gets harder as you get weaker, then I'm going to look at that exercise and be like, Oh, it's kind of weird because like when I fail the full rep, I can get like 20 more reps at the bottom. But if I, I'm dealing with a machine where it's perfectly matched, meaning the strength of the machine matches how strong I am, then I'm going to inch up at that last rep. It's going to move like a freaking ant and then I'm going to get to the top and I'm, and I'm not going to be able to do any portion of the next rep. So yeah. those two situations are clearly not the same at, at all. So if you say, oh, uh, you know, failure on leg extension is when you can't do a full rep. Well, it's like on the first scenario, now you're just missing all this other portion of the range that you yeah. didn't use. But in the second scenario, it's like, oh, great. That makes sense because when, when I did the last full rep, I couldn't even get half an inch of the next. Yeah. So it's always just like, what is the exercise? And then what is my specific goal with the exercise? And, you know, even further than that, it's like, what, what, like, what is the quality of the machine that I'm using? Yeah. So it's tough to define more broadly. But if I were forced to define it broadly, I just had to, I had to give that context. If I were forced to define it broadly, I would just say it's when you can't do another full rep in, in a, in a particular set. Generally and you're not resting for 10 seconds <laughs> and I'm not resting for 10 seconds. Yeah. That's, that's, so that's kind of, uh, moves us like a little bit tangentially, but also sort of to a, a related topic, which is like the whole failure thing is important because what people so you know you mentioned briefly at uh, I'm, I'm probably misquoting you but you said something like um people look at it as like taxing on the central nervous system right yeah, you said like yeah. yeah that's generally something i hear right it's like oh that like what does that even mean like central yeah. nervous system what does that mean we, we no one is ever referring to anything specific they just yeah. generally be like i'm fucked up you know yeah. so so but like but like how can you compare failing on a leg extension to failing with like a deadlift right it's not the same at all and i was going to say that's it like you know like i'll do as an example yesterday we did um smith seated military press those i did pause reps those yeah. I, I stopped because i'm like it's not the same as if i deadlift it's just so right. much less taxing yeah yeah so the extra so, yeah yeah so this is kind of also ties into our, what we briefly talked about earlier and with the whole technical failure thing where I think people are operating under the impression that like the central nervous system fatigue is such a big factor mm. and it can be for some people, but I think for most people it's overstated because what most people experience is not actually failure. What they experience is they get to a point, well, let's say like, uh, I don't know, pick an exercise like a squat, okay, barbell squat. They get to a point and, and maybe your goal with that is to train more quads, right? So maybe you're, you have your heels elevated and you're pushing your knees really far forward Maybe you get to a point where as soon as your quads start to get tired, what you do is you kick back into your hips, right? The classic like stripper squat. 
that happens all the time. You see that a majority in a majority of people. So what you did was as soon as you started to approach failure in your quads, you just moved everything elsewhere, right? So you just actually started doing a different exercise. You weren't, yeah. you weren't doing the same exercise, right? And this is part of you know, the reason why we don't start be a lot of beginners or I don't, I start a lot of beginners in this sort of, uh, with this sort of an exercise is because there's so many ways that you can just cheat yourself out of actually trying to do the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah. Because as soon as that uh, muscle or that group of muscles starts to fatigue, your brain is going to be like, oh, well, if my goal is just to stand up, I'm going to start to use more of my glutes or I'm going to start to use more of my adductors or more of my spinal erectors, whatever it is, your body's going to help you that way. So no wonder people start to feel more of that like central nervous system, quote unquote, fatigue, where they just feel like their entire system is taxed. And it's because the second that the local muscles started to fail, they just started to use everything else. Mm-hmm. So it's like kind of, you know, that's that's impossible to do with other exercises like a leg extension. But I actually think that the the quote unquote CNS fatigue that people experience is really just them avoiding failure in the muscle that they intended to try to to get to fail. And then them just doing a completely different exercise while they were under that degree of fatigue, which is obviously within itself very, very tiring. It's almost the equivalent of doing a rest pause, right? Where you basically like fatigue the target tissue and you're basically resting by just distributing the stress elsewhere. Right. So if that person, if that individual were to be able to have the skill to just fail in the quads, their set would fail 10 minutes earlier. Right. And all that would be fatigued really is your quads. It wouldn't be your spine. It wouldn't be your neck. It wouldn't be your freaking hips. Right. It would just be your, your quads. So that's why I think the sort of skill component of, of that is really important and why machines are maybe looked at as like less fatiguing. It's just because there are more constraints, so you can't fuck it up as much. The more that you can fuck up an exercise, the more easily you can actually just move away from failure when failure starts to happen. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Yeah, it just look, you see people squatting, I know what you mean. Like, it just looks like a different exercise. Well, it is. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. 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 Um, and next question, this is something that I see, and this is something I used to do before, you know, obviously I found Craig, but like swapping exercises every four weeks. You know, like once I actually committed to like, this is my program and, you know, did it for 12 weeks and stuck with the same exercises, like got better at the move. I saw more progress and more muscle gain. So like, can you comment on that? Like, you know, people want, they want so much variety and want to swap the exercises every four weeks. Like why that might not be beneficial if you want to build muscle. Yeah. So what I would say is that people need, so everyone looks at, you know, traditional uh, field sports, let's say baseball. And they look at a pitcher or they look at a baseball swing or they look at, you know, fielding the ground ball and they look at those things as skills and they're like, oh, that person's really skilled at this thing, right? Where they look at someone kicking a soccer ball. Wow. What a skilled athlete. But when it comes to the gym, people don't look at exercises as skills. So what ends up happening is like, there's this over, there's this, or rather there's this under focus on the skill component and there's this over focus on like whatever result the person thinks that they're getting. And so if there's zero focus whatsoever on the skill, funny and I sort of ironically enough, the actual results that you're capable of seeing just plummet, right? Because what do you need to do to be able to actually train close to or at failure? You need to be competent at the skill so that you can make the specific tissue that you're trying to make fail, fail, right? So if you're doing a biceps curl, 
And the second that you start to get, you know, fatigued in some way, you start to you start to swing the dumbbell or swing the barbell or whatever you're using, right? Now you've actually, instead of just this is kind of the same conversation we were just having. Now instead of actually maintaining that skill and just again training that muscle to 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 failure, what you've done is you've just actually distributed the stress elsewhere. So why is it important to not just swap out your exercises every other week? It's important because although you may be someone who's advanced, maybe you've been training for 10 years, right? You are still constantly relearning the skill of whatever movement that you're doing. And guess what? Every time you add load to an exercise, it's actually not the same exercise that you were just doing before. And I'm sure you've noticed this where maybe you make like too big of a jump and then everything just gets wonky immediately. Because it's, it's not the same thing, right? So it's like, if you are someone who is in the gym, who is adding weight to an exercise, which hopefully most people are doing, you are continually actually having to relearn that same exercise over and over and over again, because you have to learn how to adapt to the new stress that you've provided. And so if you never give yourself a chance to actually learn the skill, i.e. you just walk into the gym with no plan and you do something different every day, well, now you've put yourself into a situation where you're never going to learn any skill. And so you're never actually going to be able to push any tissue as far as you could if you were to actually learn, you know, again, the specifics of how to coordinate a task, even if you think it's as simple as doing the curl, doing the curl, it's still a skill, right? It's mm -hmm. still motion. Uh, it's not as complicated as throwing a baseball or kicking a soccer ball, probably. Uh, but if you don't take it seriously, uh, then, you know, the results that you are always going to be capable of achieving with that exercise are at the most diminished, right? I like that. So I think, yeah. And I think, yeah, like I say to women, yeah, some women are like, oh, you know, kid, I don't really like lifting that much. And, you know, I get a bit bored. And I'm like, well, you've got to get excited about developing the skill and becoming a really good at the craft. Because I think even yeah. now I still video my list and show Craig. And I still have to think about when I squat, like when I'm setting up the breathing, the bracing, like I'm still thinking about everything that I'm doing, even though I've done it a million times. Um, then I'll watch it back and think, oh, you know, I didn't, you know, this, I could do this better. And then I think too, getting excited about the progression. So like if you're changing the fucking exercise all the time, you're always trying to learn new exercises and you never really get better at them. Not to say that you shouldn't do different exercises, but you know, like I think that's yeah. what really excites me is getting better, like at the skill, but also it's like adding more weight. Cause you know, like I think it's like, oh fuck, I just, you know, I've got these little goals written down on my mirror you know, I want to get to this. And I think, okay, if every week I can just add this, it'll take me this long. Like that's the exciting. And then seeing your body change. And I think too, you yeah. know, like I've never met a woman, I'm sure you're the same, who's gotten strong and thought, I fucking hate this. Like <laughs> I hate lifting. Oh, I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. It's honestly the most fucking empowering thing I believe you could ever do. And it's really taught me, like, I feel like what I've learned in lifting. So it's like, you've got to keep showing up. You've got to persist. You know, there's weeks when you won't make progress. You might, you know, I, I broke my arm once squatting. It was just a freak accident when I was doing powerlifting. You know, I, I couldn't, you know, I was out for ages, but it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's that, it, it's so exciting. It really, it makes you believe that you can, I think, do anything. You know, like yeah. when you, you, know, you hit a new deadlift PB or a squat PB or a hack squat PB or something, you're like, fuck yeah. You know, it's like this most exciting, amazing feeling. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, and I do think that there is also something that is very, uh, very directly, I don't like the word scientific, but like very scientific about this process of like, you are uh, this person that is doing things that you've 
never done and you're doing it continually and you're also seeing your physical structure change as a consequence like there's there's nothing that's more directly rewarding and easy to see and uh easier to feel fulfilled about than that you know of course it slows down eventually but you know the numbers basically just get smaller right it's not like you know, maybe the first time you lifted, you could add, you know, five kilos to the bar the next week. And now it's like, it takes you three months to add five kilos or something, but you know, it's still, it's still that same process just over and over and over again. I think too, maybe you can comment on this. Like a lot of women, you know, they'll look at me and go, oh, Kitty, am I going to have to always continually want to get stronger? I'm like, well, no, like once you get to a certain level and if you're happy with your physique, if you're like, I'm happy with this, you just have to maintain those lifts and you can actually do less, right? Yeah, it's actually pretty easy. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like we just like doing it because it's exciting to me to continually go like, okay, I've got these certain lifts that I'm working on. I really want to get them, the numbers up. And it doesn't matter how long it takes. Like it's just this continual process. But, you know, like if you're a woman thinking, oh, I always have to be trying to get stronger. Well, you don't. Like, right. And I think the amount, the amount that, um, once you've gotten, once you progress to a certain point, uh, whether in strength or size slash toning or both, I think that like the amount uh, of of actual exercise and of actual like difficult exercise that you need to do to keep what you've built is so like upsettingly little that like I'll give you a concrete example here. Uh, my, I mentioned earlier to you at some point, I don't know if it was recorded or not that my training partner is, uh, in the IFBB as like a pro bodybuilder. Yes. He, he, uh, long story short, had like a, a whole spinal injury situation. It was really bad, not from lifting or anything, just from literally like the past two decades of uh, stuff. He has like every, uh, diagnosed spinal injury under the sun and his, in his lumbar spine. Um, so point being, he took like like seven or eight months just completely off of training. Mm. Uh, and he he's very uh, organized and like data driven. So he knows all of his circumference measurements. Yeah. And he literally dropped like across the board on average, like less than 10% circumference in eight months of not training mm. at all. Wow. And like, yeah, and he wasn't doing he wasn't doing any of the bodybuilder things that he had previously done literally didn't touch a weight, uh, like just walked his dog and, and did his physical therapy and that, and that was it. Uh, and now, you know, we're back like training for six weeks or something now, and he's basically already reaccrued a lot of the, the actual tissue, if any, that he lost over that time. So, you know, not that anyone would ever have that extreme situation, right? Mm-hmm. Or hopefully, not, but it just kind of goes to show that like, the amount that you lose, even if you are staying minimally active outside of the weight room is like very, very little. Mm-hmm. Um, and so obviously a lot of factors can, can play into that, but I totally agree with that notion of just doing what you need to do to maintain is. Yeah. Like, yeah, and it's so like, you think if you're running all the time, you have to run five miles every day and eat this much food to maintain. If you stop running, you yeah. probably gain body fat, but whereas lifting, once you build that base and build that foundation, and then you're like, you can actually do less to maintain it. Right. Know? Right. It's because yeah. you changed the engine, right? Yeah, that's right. You've built the base. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I, I think that's a huge concept too, is just the sustainability aspect of it. Um, mm. And you know, if you were once lifting five, six days a week, which I used to when I was, not that I'm old, but when I was- You're younger, like 23, I was like, I'm <laughs> 42. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you know, 
Uh, I've gotten to a point where I only train four or five days a week. Uh, yeah, I train four. I've tried to train five, but I just, I don't know. I just don't like training on the weekend. Yeah. I like yeah. just glue my four days, you know, and I train pretty fucking hard. And I'm like, oh, I just can't be fucked to like, Craig trains five days. But a lot of our women in our program, like they'll start at three days and they might only ever get to four. And I interviewed this lady and she's been out of the program for three years. And I just wanted to interview someone to say like, okay, what you learned, the lifting, how have you sustained your results ongoing? So she lifted really consistently four days a week for like 12 to 18 months. And now she says, I just maintain it doing two full body days a week because that's just yeah, what fits yeah. into my lifestyle. I'm in my 50s. She's like, I look good. You know, I can wear my bikini on the beach. I eat like between two to two and a half thousand calories a day, do my steps every day. I'm like, fucking brilliant. Yeah. Like, how good's yeah. that? That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Especially like for, you know, someone who's in their 50s, I think you said. Yeah. It's like, you know, most people in their 20s like assume that that can't happen. Yeah, it is. It's just so crazy. Like, it's just such, like, I, f I feel that so it's worth the investment in time to, to learn how to lift correctly and build that base, build that foundation. And then you can either take it as far as you, you might stop and go, I'm happy with this. I just want to sustain it. Or you might be like us and be obsessed. And you're like, some of other clients, you're like, oh, it's got to be stronger. I want to, can never be more muscly enough. You know, I'm always got to have more muscle, got to have more muscle. Cause it's exciting. And I just want to eat more food. Let's actually, this talks on to the next topic, food. So, and like recovery. And I think another, like, I feel like there's sort of two camps of women that join our program. There's the ones like I used to be, where I was, I was a really, like I was small. I was like 62 kilos. I'm like five, five foot eight. I'm like 69 kilos now. Um, but I starved myself and then I would binge, but I was better at restricting than, you know, after the binges and I would just do a ton of exercise. Um, and I think there's women that come into our program that they want to build the muscle, but they're tiny and they're so scared of gaining weight and they don't eat enough, even though like the weight that they're gaining is muscle. And then we've got the women who are like totally not training at all and overeating. Um, so can you talk about the importance of like actually eating enough to grow yeah. muscle? I mean, can't really be overstated. Um, I actually think I was having this conversation today with someone and we were talking about the potential sort of rate limiters to progress. And we kind of, lump them into a couple major categories and yeah. i think that the nutrition side of things and the two categories are basically like lifting uh mm -hmm. and nutrition and you could also sort of make maybe sleep as a third and then if you're you know in the bodybuilding realm you could make pharmacology another sort of category but from the standpoint of like the majority of people it's like nutrition slash sleep and then training and Obviously, the two sort of act together synergistically and in a way where like two plus two equals 10, right? But if you have, if you were to try to pick one or the other, you should definitely pick like eating well and sleeping well, like over training, right? Uh, not not that I would ever advise that in, for anyone, but I, I just think that people over so overlook it as, a, as, as the biggest priority that it, that it actually is, that a lot of times the... Uh, the tendency seems to me to be like a hyper focus on training yeah. and then people make a ton of progress, right? Because they're new to it and they've never done it before. And the, you know, they can do anything and make progress, but then when the progress slows down and they, they assume that like the training is still the issue, yeah. what they do is actually push the training harder. Yeah. Don't recognize that the only change that you are going to ever be capable of making is the change where the training matches the environment that you create. Mm -hmm. So I look at like the nutrition and the sleep as you setting the stage for the growth to happen. 
And then the training is just like you pushing the button to make that to make that repeated process occur over and over again. Mm-hmm. Right. But but the nutrition and specifically like the food quality, I find that most people uh get really wrapped up in like what specific food do I eat? And what time should I eat? And oh my God, uh, like, do, should I eat carbs before bed? Or and it's like, no, no, no. Like, don't start there. Don't start at like square or or don't start at like step a thousand. Start at step one, which is just like, am I eating, uh, you know, relatively uh, whole sourced or single or double ingredient foods? Like, am I eating foods that like I feel like are, uh, you know, more? Uh, I, I hate the word natural, right? But you kind of get what I'm saying. Like, so like in our program, we like, you know, like fruits, root veggies, rice, bread, you know, saturated yeah, fats, meat, eggs, dairy, yeah. good quality dairy. And then it's like, do that 80 to 90% of the time. And then 10% of the time, if you want to eat a fucking Mars bar, but fit it yeah. in your macros, you know, like I think in making sure, am I eating enough protein? Am I eating enough carbs? Am I eating fat? And like you say, mostly these foods most of the time. Um, yeah. yeah, like that first. It, it, and then. You know, like I think like some women I see, like this is a good example of this, that like this woman was asking me, she was getting so um, like bogged down on the meal timing, but yet she's lifting with dumbbells. I'm like, that's not what you, you need to lift heavy weights. And like, you, you know, you, I think they get, you know, so focused on the detail, but rather than the rocks, like the, like you say, it's like these big rocks. And I think like, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm not a very details person. Like Craig really laughs at me, like he, but I think I just focus on what actually, and I'm not saying the details don't matter. I don't, the, the nuances do matter, right? Like obviously the more advanced you would get, those, those things matter. But I think like what I focus on, I'm like, okay, like at the moment I'm trying to build muscle. So I need to eat in a small calorie surplus. So am I doing that consistently every day? I just, I eat four meals a day with a bedtime snack because that just works for me. That's what I like. You know, I have reasonably balanced meals. I make sure I eat a good amount of carbs before training. I just drink a tra- this drink during training because I'd like it. Like I have carbs during, I eat after training, you know, but they're pretty balanced my meals and I just do it consistently and I try and fucking add weight to the bar and push to failure. And I get, pro- <laughs> I prioritize sleep. So I go to bed at 8, 8.30, I get sun every day, I do my steps and I'm like, I make progress. Like I'm not saying there aren't more nuanced things, but I think so many people like they get too focused on the detail without actually nailing the basics. Yeah. And I think that the reality is that like the reason that people ask those kinds of questions is because they're looking for something that will Magic. make progress accelerate <laughs> at a rate that is completely unreasonable. Yeah. And then eventually if people stay in the game and do it long enough, they realize that nothing is actually like that. Yeah. And those things that they're asking about are probably the things that not only comprise like 5% or less of the progress that you'll see, but that more importantly only actually add to the bucket of progress if you have all of the preconditions for that the environment set up in the first place right so when people ask that question it's hard not to be like an asshole and be like well it doesn't matter because you're not doing any of those other things but like talking to you now i can be like it's completely irrelevant unless you've you've sort of built that foundation so i do think that like and the other thing too you mentioned macros and stuff i think that a lot of people uh especially now are starting to uh teach this idea that like tracking your food is somehow inherently going to be like going to create like a bad relationship with food oh i know we get that all the time and 
Yeah. Uh, I, I don't really buy that for most people. I do think that there are some exceptions where people who maybe have, who have I think, previously. I think if they've got like, like yeah. a predis, like if they're an eating disorder, like Craig, we were talking about the podcast and he said he's looked at some studies and they've shown that yes, if you have an eating disorder or something in the past that tracking right. may cause that, but for the rest of the population, um, yeah. and you know, every woman that I do testimonial with, like they go the tracking and food planning and cause we sort of try and teach them more forward planning, you know, so like you sit down the week before and you might go, okay, I'm prepping, thinking about what I'll have for lunch and dinners and sort of get the majority of it ready. You might have some things might change, but then you're not thinking every fucking day like, oh, what am I having for lunch? What am I having for, you know, and you can balance your meals. And they all say to me, it's created more freedom. Yeah. So they don't stress about food anymore. Yeah, it's kind of like when you develop a routine in the morning, mm. right? You're not even thinking about what you're doing for like the first one or two hours of the day. You only really start to realize how stressful it is to not have a routine when you're out <laughs> of your routine. And you're like, holy shit, like I have to make all these decisions like as soon as I wake up. What's that about? So it's like the same thing to me where, you know, if you just kind of, I just like get the scale out. I don't really think about it. I just dump the rice in there. And I'm like, this is what meal number one is. Um, and, and so I do think that that's also, you know, in, in some senses very empowering too, right? Because you're taking control over this thing that you didn't maybe even know could be controlled. And then the second that you start to see, you know, the results sort of come along with that, which tend to happen pretty quickly if you're paying attention. Um, you know, I think that like, it's, it can be a total game changer and motivator for people. And, you know, I do think that like, if you are again, someone who really struggles from, you know, that eating disorder perspective, or maybe, just as a whole, it's too much to take on immediately. Like maybe just start with the protein and maybe just track the protein. Um, because you know, a lot of stuff also happens to to take care of itself with with just that addition. Like the 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 bar for so many people I think is so low, so unfortunately low, yeah. that even tracking a single like one of the macros, you know, can be something that is different enough to make progress for a little bit. And yeah. then maybe once you know, they start to become accustomed to that. They add another layer and then another layer. And then eventually, you know, they kind of have a more holistic approach and they're able to handle things at, at higher levels of stress, maybe than they would have if they tried to just add everything all at once. Mm. I think too, like, uh, and, and this is something I personally found with it as well is because I was from that very eat really low calories, like eat 1200 calories, cut carbs, yeah. cut sugar. And then I'd have these epic binges. So it was this real, either I was either restricting or I was binge eating and it made me realize that, and obviously once I bought the strength training into and got stronger, then I could eat more consistent, I could eat more on a consistent basis and actually achieve my goals. And that if I say like had a weekend, you know, where I went away and we just ate whatever foods and had, you know, drinks and I put on a bit of body fat, it would only take like a week of eating just a few hundred less calories and I would be back to where I was. So I didn't have to do these crazy extreme things anymore to actually achieve my goals. And it really, like you say, I think it empowered me to go, oh, this isn't that hard. You know, I've got all the tools now in my tool belt to go, okay, well, if I want to build muscle, what do I need to do? If I wanted to do lose a bit of body fat, what do I need to do? And it doesn't really take, and something I've just noticed with myself too is like, you know, the difference between maintenance and a surplus and a deficit's not that much. Like it's not a huge range. It might be like, or at least it sh it shouldn't be. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I on that note too, I I do think that, um, I do think that an important point to bring up is that although it is cliche, um, that starting definitely is way like far and away the hardest part. 
Yeah. Because um, I think a majority of people who actually put time and effort into it realize pretty quickly that like it's something that is so much more positive than it is negative and it ends up like not feeling like work at all right it's just like part of your new life and you're moving in this new direction um but i, I do think part of the reason you know a, a lot of people are are capable of losing a ton of weight but very few people are capable of losing weight and, and keeping it off for any amount of time right and it's like well why is that in the first place i think it has a lot to do not in some ways maybe with the tracking but in others just to sort of go along with that is just the sustainability aspect of it like if 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 you um put yourself on a diet and lose a bunch of weight and then gain the weight back in a couple of years well then by definition like the diet in the first place was was never going to be sustainable for you you just didn't really realize it mm -hmm. um i do think a be a huge benefit in some ways of actually tracking your macros is like you said, it does give you actually more freedom because you can have some ice cream at night. You can have some cheese when you wake up and you don't have to feel guilty about like, or, or concerned about whether or not you're eating too much or maybe you're, you're, uh, you're eating too little. Right. So when you do have that more direct way to sort of measure and track what you're doing, you can actually widen the constraints of what you're able to eat because you know what boundaries you have to sort of eat within. And that's mm -hmm. something that I think is the biggest part of the equation when it comes to the sustainability part of it, which is just like, you know, uh, of, of course this will change from person to person, but I think on the whole and, and from what I've seen personally and in and, and my clients, the more uh, precise they are about their day-to-day -day tracking, the, the more sustained their progress tends to be as a consequence. My sister's a really good example of this. So my sister, she's really smart too. She's like this commercial property developer. Um, and she would always like just have these crap on to Craig, like Craig just like roll his eyes about, you know, your know, people can't lose weight and do this. And else. She's never tracked food in her life. And then her partner, Jersey, who we love, he got onto like the macro tracking, eating in a deficit to lose weight and he did it. And then, so she got on board and she's like, it's been like, I don't know, eight weeks now or 10 weeks or however long it's been a while. And her and Craig were having conversations. She's like, oh, it's actually really easy. Like I've done it and I've realized now what you mean about eating in a deficit is what, you know, I'm making sure I'm getting enough protein. And she's like, and it sort of made me realize too, like, okay, I could eat a piece of chocolate or I could eat some yogurt and fruit and that's going to be way more filling. Like she hasn't really got into the detail like we have around like foods and micronutrients, but it's a really good first step. And then Craig was talking to her too about, okay, now we're going to reverse diet you and you probably, cause she's a real cardio bunny, like loves the treadmill. And he's like, now would be a good time to try and bring in some weight training so i think they're going to buy some gym for the equipment at home and he's like look just whatever you can do to start's better than nothing so start and then build on that so that's a great example of someone who's just you know like you just start with the basics and then over time you can learn more and add more in and, and do more and she's like you know i've lost the five kilos and it was not that hard yeah yeah and it, it ends up being that way for a lot of people as well where you kind of sound like a dick when you say that to other people who are like struggling, but then they actually do it and they're like, oh yeah, I know you were kind of right about that. Yeah. Um, so I, I do think that, um, you know, there, are, of course there are exceptions like anything else, but you think that on the whole, that tends to be what I've seen uh, pretty much across the board, men, women, people who are older, people who are younger, doesn't really matter. Yeah. And I think like one piece of advice I give to women too is, you know, cause I came into it thinking, oh fuck, 
this is going to be so restrictive, the tracking, but only because I'd always tried to eat 1200 calories and cut carbs and sugar. And, you know, like when women join our program, we're more about, you know, like building that car motor or foundation. So building muscle, you're doing a bit more activity so that even if when you're eating a deficit, it's that you can eat more and you know, that it's, it, and you'll still lose weight. So I'm like, and it's also about, you know, optimizing your sleep and your digestion, your energy. So once you start to sort of plan these meals out, you're eating these good foods, you'll start to sleep better. You'll have more energy. Your training will be better. So look at it as a point of like, it's not restriction. It's more about teaching you and optimizing your body and you'll feel really good and really empowered. And I think like, even when I, you know, I still, I don't drink a lot now. I used to drink and party heaps when I was younger. I still have drinks. Yeah. Like I still like, I really love alcohol, but I just don't love how it makes me feel. There's sort of this like two sides to me, this one that wants to get wasted. And then the other one who's like, I just want to be in the gym and training. I don't really, and I'm 42 now, so it's just too hard, but I'll still have a few drinks now, like two or three glasses. And the next day I'll be like, I can really feel that. And I just am way more, it's just eating all my normal food and sleeping and training. You just feel so good. Like even beyond what you look like, you just feel so much better. So I think if women can look at it like that, instead of going, oh, it's just going to be like restriction and misery. Um, Because, you know, like, I mean, in our program, we've never had to have anyone eat 1200 calories ever. Even the 49 kilo women, you know, like, so especially when they're strength training, but um one another question, because I noticed you talk about this a lot too, and it's something that we encourage our clients to do is activity or movement, you know? So can you talk a bit more about why, you know, you, you like walking and getting active alongside strength training? Yeah. I mean, uh, a lot of it for me gets pretty specific to um, just general joint health and also mood. Um, so mood is kind of a separate sort of related to what you just touched on, but um you know, we, we are, we are these organisms, these bipedal organisms that are meant to walk and meant to move. Like that's one of the primary reasons that we were able to evolve beyond other species in the first place is we had this really cool ability to walk on two feet and then, uh, be really efficient at doing it. Uh, and so that's something that over the last, however many years has obviously been diminished and lost over time, just because of the increased amount of people who, you know, sit all day and not only sit all day, but every day of the week, five days a week for eight hours because it's their job. And so, you know, I realize that there are constraints to this, but even if that is your situation, something as little as like a standing desk where you're just actually able to create changes in position throughout the day uh, is going to do wonders, not only, like I said, from a, from a mood standpoint, at least in my experience, but also just from a generalized spinal, knee, hip, foot, whatever, whatever joint you want to think about, uh, uh, per, a health perspective. Um, we have mechanisms that exist specifically in our connective tissues that make it so that movement is the thing that actually keeps the joint healthy, um, connective tissues specifically, and not to get, you know, too, too, uh, deep into this are not, uh, vascularized, meaning that they don't have a blood supply. So basically what creates the nutrition for our connective tissues is, uh, bones basically moving around one another and shifting fluid around uh, in, in different compartments of the joint. So uh, if any of you have ever heard the phrase that motion is lotion, which is a phrase mm-hmm. I love, uh, is 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 really true. And so, you know, the solution that I think a lot of people try to create to their feeling tight and feeling stiff and feeling immobile is they try to like use this band-aid of stretching or foam rolling or, you know, not that any of that stuff is necessarily 
harmful for everyone. But I just think that generally speaking, it kind of misses the mark on like what the problem is in the first place, which for most people is just the sedentary lifestyle that a lot of people, you know, not only are now born into, but sort of continue to perpetuate for themselves and their families, you know, as they get older. So I think it's huge from that perspective, from the joint health perspective and just the, the, you know, all the things I kind of mentioned, but then also just moving more throughout the day, I think is great for things like digestion and digestive motility, as well as just keeping your energy levels generally high. I think we've all probably experienced like being super full after a meal and then just like laying on the couch and not being able to get up for like two hours. And like, you just feel like shit after doing something like that. Uh, especially if it's something that is, is, uh, sort of a consistent trend over time where you just sort of like are lazy and lay down all day. And so, yeah, for me, it's like one of the first things I try to do every morning after I eat is just go for a walk. Yeah. Uh, Cause and it sets the tone and it, and it wakes me up. And I think that anyone who, who is listening can probably benefit from just getting more steps unless you're already someone who is getting an, an excessive amount because maybe you're on your feet all day or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's like, look, start, I say women, look, get a step tracker, see where you're at. And then just, you can build up or like you could, you know, if you, maybe you could go for three 10 minute walks a day or like break it up or, you know, like there's different ways, right. That you can get it in and try and get outside, get some sun. Um, you know, there's lots of different ways you can do it. Go like a lot of women in our program because their mums with kids, like they'll go and do stuff with their kids. You know, they yeah. said it's really helped them with their family too, you know, just spending more time with their family and just getting their family more, um, more active, uh, which is, which is awesome. So yeah, get those, get those steps in sunshine or play some sport or whatever. I think I always say to him, like, do something you enjoy. Yeah. Because it necessarily yeah. have to be, you have to walk, like could be anything. And, yeah. I just think walking is generally speaking the, yeah, the easiest. And also if you're someone who lives in like a city, you know, instead of taking the subway, that would take five minutes, like, you know, walk and, and maybe yeah. it's 20. Yeah, uh, park further know, away in the shopping center. Let's yeah, yeah. Walk. Yeah. For me specifically, I, I oftentimes will use uh, uh, walking time to listen to podcasts and stuff. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's kind of how I sort of conveniently can carve out time for, for learning if I want to learn about a specific thing or, mm. you know, maybe it's just music, but, you know, it's, it's something that I wouldn't be doing uh, otherwise. So, mm. you know, I, I kind of use that time in addition, you know, to all those other benefits for those other things. And maybe just one last question, something I thought of, um, and let's just assume that we're talking not about advanced lifters. Sure. And, or maybe it still might apply to advanced lifters, but like sort of beginners to intermediates, you know, the, typically the women we work with, exercise selection. So, you know, sometimes I see women come in in their programs, they're just doing like, I don't even know what the right words are to articulate, but like they might bicep, like all accessory type exercise. Like they're not really doing any, any like hinge, any, you know, squats, any like of the bigger, not necessarily squatting, but you might do a hack squat or a, you know, like they're not doing any of those sort of bigger compound movements. Like, I guess it's hard to, like you say, you got to look at the individual and program specifically for them. But if you were just talking about some exercises that you should include if you're, you know, that you're sort of going to get more bang for your buck. Yeah. I mean, this for me ultimately comes down to like, what are the constraints of the person? So if you have 30 or 45 minutes to exercise, you're Mm -hmm. probably not going to like hop on 20 different machines to isolate Mm -hmm. different motions. 
Um, so that that is a big sort of component uh, of this for me specifically is like if I'm shorter on time and I need to rush a workout, mm. uh, I'll use that sort of a, of a strategy. Generally speaking, I think that um, th- this is this is tricky for the more general population just because um, you know decisions around exercise selection should mostly come down to like what your specific goals are. But the problem is that people generally don't have an understanding of like which exercises are doing what things. Mm. And so I think that this idea of like the hinge and the squat came about as a way to be like, hey, here are two different things that you can do that will cover a lot of your bases. Like this will cover quads, this will cover hamstrings, this will cover glutes, this will cover adductors. Um, so I think that for, you know, sort of the lay person, the beginner, the intermediate, dividing up your training into different patterns can be very useful because even though you may not know the specific muscular uh, uh, division that you're training and at what length and, you know, for what a, whatever amount of, uh, you know, sets, you have a general idea of like, I want to do a good amount of this thing and a good amount of this thing and that'll cover most of it. So for me, I do think that it's it's valuable to pick an exercise or a group of exercises that more so involves motion at the knee. So a lot of people will think of that as uh, as as a squat. Um, and there are ways to do squats that are much more with your hip or much more with your knee. Um, but to categorize it more, uh, I think more rigidly or more with, you know with a boundary that makes more sense. You know, pick exercises that are more knee dominant, and then pick exercises that are more hip dominant. Right. So a lot of this is is pretty easy to to um, to feel and maybe more difficult for people to see. So uh, if people need sort of a, a little bit more of a visual kind of a uh, an example for this, it's like, just think about the contrast between what a deadlift might look like or an RDL uh, or, or something like a reverse lunge versus something like, I don't know, um, a heel elevated goblet squat or, um, you know, a hack squat like we mentioned earlier, or even like a leg extension. Obviously, that's a different scenario because... You, know, you don't have loading at your hip uh, to any external degree, um, but just easy to kind of break it up that way where like, hey, more of the stress feels like it's on my quads versus more of the stress feels like it's elsewhere. You have your knee dominant motion, you have your hip dominant motion. And then for the upper body, you kind of just apply a similar logic where it's like, okay, I'm going to do a push and a pull and I'm going to do it more in like this horizontal kind of a direction, right? And think like lying dumbbell press versus like maybe chest supported row. And then I'm going to do the same thing at a little bit higher of an angle where I get maybe like more of a, a shoulder press or an overhead press. And I sort of couple that with a pull down type motion as opposed to like a more of a rowing type motion. And it's like, bing, bang, boom. You got like six different patterns there, which will pretty much cover the majority of what you need from a, a basic standpoint, right? So you have something that's more knee dominant, more hip dominant, something that's a vertical push, a vertical pull, and then a horizontal push and a horizontal pull. And if you kind of cover that in like a full body day, you know, maybe it takes you an hour or less. And then if you want to maybe do more volume of those same kinds of things, then you just distribute it through multiple days. Um, mm-hmm. As long as you're kind of covering that, you know, every single week across a couple of days or more, uh, I think most people, especially at the beginner, the intermediate level, will like have what they need in their program, provided that they're actually training to some more difficult degree. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Uh, is there uh, anything else that you want to add that you think might be beneficial that we haven't discussed? Um, I just think that, uh, you know, on the whole, in relation to just the general topics of like 
gaining muscle, looking more toned, whatever you want to call it. I don't think that there's necessarily, I think that like the, what the internet uh, sort of perpetuates is this idea that like there's a right way. And I, spe- I definitely have my biases just like everyone else has their biases, but like ultimately sort of take what everyone says, not a hundred percent seriously, just from the standpoint of like my, my thought process is, is just to kind of, cons- if you're into this stuff, consume as many different resources as you can and listen to people with different opinions because you know maybe something i said resonates with someone and you know they apply it and they they love applying it and it's sustainable for them but maybe something that i said doesn't really work out for them and in in which case i would try something else but ultimately like none of this stuff really matters if you're going to do it for a week and then never look at it again (laughs) you know so it's like if you could do it a way that's like a hundred percent uh, optimal, but you could do it for two weeks, then, you know, that's no good. So ultimately I think it just comes down to like, yeah, there are things that may be better for your goal than others. Uh, but if you fucking hate doing them, you know, uh, find another way to get it done. Uh, and so maybe that's, you know, uh, um, uh, adopting a mindset of like, uh, instead of, you know, this hinge pattern versus the squat pattern pattern, maybe you just like like machines more and you don't even have to do a hinge. Like it doesn't really matter again if you're not going to do it. So for me, it's just like over time, I, I've become more rigid in some ways and less rigid in others. And the ways I've become less rigid, I would say is like, you know, and kind of why I keep bringing up this whole individual thing. It's like, it, like, look at the individual, the context of them is just kind of do what is sustainable for you. Um, because if you can't do it, then, you know, who, who really cares? Definitely not you if, if you're not doing it. Um, I think so, that that's yeah. the value of co- coaching too, I think. Like if you can afford it to actually work with someone one-on-one because, you know, like, and you would do the same thing when they come into our program, like, how many days a week can you train? You know, what's your capability? Do you have any injuries? You know, what do you enjoy doing? What equipment do you have access to? You know, like yeah. someone can program specifically, um, for you and then give you coaching around the actual execution. Are you pushing it to, to failure? And I think, you know, look, I always said women, look at this, like a, it's an investment in your education. Cause once you learn this stuff, you know it, Yeah. you know, like, yeah. Yeah. And you can help other people too. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was one of the most rewarding parts about this for me initially is like, I could actually help my mom because you know, when my mom would have back pain, I would be like, Hey, you know, do these things. They may help. Um, but I do think I do agree with that. And, I, I tend to tilt more toward the population of people now where uh, they will just do whatever I say because it's because I think that it's better for them. So yeah. they'll like, you know, jump off a cliff if I say that's that, that that's better. But I understand that like most people are not aren't, aren't like that. So that's kind of why I try to give that message when I can remember to give it uh, because I tend to be pretty, pretty rigid in certain uh, beliefs and in certain, uh, you know, methodologies. Mm-hmm. But I do understand that a lot of things work for a lot of people. Um, and so at the end of the day, if you're not going to be doing this for your career as a professional bodybuilder, you know, just do the thing that like gets you to the gym every day and, and keeps yeah. you excited. Uh, even if that's something that, you know, I wouldn't necessarily agree with in a certain context, it works for you. But again, it's like you say, like if some, if you're like, if you're hiring a coach and you're not getting the results that you want doing what you're doing, you have to change, right? Like you have to go, well, what I'm doing isn't working. So I should be open to what they're telling me and then do it and then see what happens. And if it works and it gets you the result, great, which, you know, I think 
because all of the things you've talked about, I feel like even though there's like obviously all these different people that have slightly different methodology, the basic fundamental principles are the same, aren't sure. they? Really, like you got to be adding weight to the bar over time. Like if your deadlift stays at fifty kilos, you ain't going to grow any muscle in a year if it's still fifty kilos, right? Like it's like the basic stuff's still the same, I think. But like you say, there's different ways that you can go about it and different, you know, things that you really enjoy. And I think over time, as you become more advanced you just know what works for you, right? And what you can recover from and how hard you can push yourself and how much food you need. And, you know, like it just becomes more, um, I don't know, intuitive is not the right word, but like, do you know what I mean? Like you just... Yeah, yeah. There's, yeah. there's a certain degree of clarity that you develop mm-hmm. around um, both sort of knowing what works for you, but also what more in the short term uh, you feel like will be better for you if you need to adjust mm-hmm. you know, your training in some way. So I think that overall, it's like, I do agree that a lot of people, a lot of good coaches at least do follow similar principles. It's just more so the manifestation of like how people apply those principles that makes them more or less effective for certain people. Because, mm-hmm. you know, there's no, there's no coach in the world that is going to be the perfect coach for every person, yeah. right? It just doesn't work like that. And I used to take that kind of a thing personally when I like didn't really get along with a client, <laughs> something wasn't working and. Yeah. You know, that they bought into this system that I thought was total garbage and it worked for them. You know, it's just kind of like that kind of a, a humility check that like, yeah, I'm not going to really be the best person for everyone and that's fine. So, you know, that's, that's kind of in the, in the first place why I also tilted more toward the education based thing is <laughs> because like, yeah, there are just certain people that I just can't force myself to work with. So, um, so, you know, the education stuff is a little bit more generalized and just information based. And so, um, I do love coaching still to some degree. Um, but I find, I find more reward in personally, again, now, uh, just, just trying to teach people things that they can then go and, and apply on their own. Uh, and they get back to me and be like, Hey, this thing, like, yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so true. And you're like, there's, there's, you know, like Craig and I laugh about this all the time. Like he's really into the nitty gritty. You know, obviously yep. it's like you, like, this is you guys, it's your jam, you know, it's what you do, you're so interested in it. I'm just like, oh, just tell me the, like, what's the fucking food I have to eat? How much weight do I need to keep, like, sleep? I just, I'm like, nail the basics and then I'm like, just make progress. But, you know, you might want to work with someone who's really lo- loves the detail and gets into the nitty gritty. Like, it's so funny, you know, he'll talk to me about different exercise and how to fucking just, I just like doing the big compound lifts, you know, like the big R. I hate doing all the little, you know. And he just laughs yeah. at me. But, you know, like I say, but it works for me. Like I'm enjoying it. I'm gradually making progress. I feel good, you know. So it's like, but you might enjoy doing those more nitty gritty, like getting into the finer details. So it's about, yeah, finding someone that you like working with and that what actually works for you. Exactly. Yeah. Which is easier said than done. Yeah, true. Yeah. yeah. True, true, true. But that was so awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. I just loved everything that we've... um talked about and i'm going to put ben's his details um down below follow him on instagram he's awesome um what other like do you have a coaching program and membership like how what what do you sell basically yeah so i mean if everything is through my instagram so all this can be found on there but i do have a, a website and a members section on there which is basically just uh specifically uh an education platform that's dedicated to teaching everything related to muscles and joints and exercise mechanics and all that fun stuff. So all that information is there though. So uh, outside of that, yeah, Instagram is the place uh, to be. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, um, thanks so much, um, uh, Ben and ladies, don't forget to, um, 
rate and review the podcast um, and share a screenshot uh, on Instagram stories and tag. You can tag me, tag Ben um, with your biggest takeaways. And if you're new here or you've been following us for a while um, and you want to get started, don't forget to grab our seven-day Eat More, Train Less, Get Results Challenge where we just basically give you all the basic fundamentals around all the things that we've talked about in nutrition, $27 uh, one-off payment, lifetime access. And it's, um, you know, I think it's a really good introduction to what we do. And if you're a beginner and new to all these concepts around food tracking and strength training and walking, it covers um, all of the basics. So uh, thanks again, Ben. And we might have to get you on in the future to talk about a more specific topic. I'm sure I'd love to. I'd love to. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much.